I've been doing a fair amount of writing for Esquire um, in the past like four years because it gives me a chance to uh, work with a guy named Andy Ward, who's just a great editor. Um, and this is a story that they're going to, I believe, publish next month, and it's called Six to Eight Black Men. I've never been much for guidebooks, so when trying to get my bearings in some strange American city, I normally start by asking the cab driver or hotel clerk some silly question regarding the latest census figures. I say silly because I don't really care how many people live in Olympia, Washington, or Columbus, Ohio. They're nice enough places, but the numbers mean nothing to me. My second question might have to do with the average annual rainfall, which again doesn't tell me anything about the people who have chosen to call this place home. What truly interests me are the local gun laws. <laughs> Can I carry a concealed weapon? And if so, under what circumstances? What's the waiting period for a Tommy gun? Could I buy a Glock 7 if I were recently divorced or fired from my job? I've learned from experience that it's best to lead into this subject as delicately as possible, especially if you and the local citizen are alone and enclosed in a relatively small area. <laughs> Bide your time, though, and you can walk away with some excellent stories. I've learned, for example, that the blind can legally hunt in both Texas and Michigan. <laughs> From an equal opportunity standpoint, I suppose it's only fair, but still I find it more than a little unsettling. <laughs> in Texas, the blind hunters must be accompanied by a sighted companion, but in Michigan, they're allowed to go it alone. <laughs> Which raises the question, how do they find whatever it is they just shot? <laughs> in addition to that, how do they get home? Are the Michigan blind allowed to drive as well? <laughs> I ask about guns, not because I want one of my own, but because the answers vary so widely from state to state. In a country that's become increasingly homogeneous, I'm reassured by these last charming touches of regionalism. <laughs> guns aren't really an issue in Europe, so when traveling abroad, my first question usually relates to barnyard animals. What do your roosters say is a good icebreaker. <laughs> As every country has its own unique interpretation. In Germany, where dogs bark, vow, vow, and both the frog and the duck say quack, the rooster greets the dawn with a hearty kikariki. <laughs> Grecian roosters crow kiriaki, and in France they scream cocorico, which sounds like an order for one of those horrible pre-mixed cocktails with a pirate on the label. <laughs> when told that an American rooster says cock-a-doodle-doo, my hosts look at me with disbelief and pity. <laughs> when do you open your Christmas presents is another good question, as I think it explains a lot about national character. People who traditionally open gifts on Christmas Eve seem a bit more pious and family-oriented than those who wait until Christmas morning. They go to Mass, open presents, eat a late meal, return to church the following morning, and devote the rest of the day to eating another big meal. Gifts are generally reserved for children, and the parents tend not to go overboard. 
it's nothing I'd want for myself. <laughs> but I suppose it's fine for those who prefer food and family to things of real value. <laughs> in France and Germany, gifts are exchanged on Christmas Eve, while in the Netherlands, the children open their presents on December 5th in celebration of St. Nicholas Day. It sounded sort of quaint until I spoke to a man named Oscar, who filled me in on a few of the details as we walked from my hotel to the Amsterdam train station. Unlike the jolly, obese American Santa, St. Nicholas is painfully thin in dresses not unlike the Pope, <laughs> topping his robes with a tall hat resembling an embroidered tea cozy. The outfit, I was told, is a carryover from his former career when he served as the Bishop of Turkey. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said. <laughs> but could you repeat that? <laughs> One doesn't want to be too much of a cultural chauvinist, but this seemed completely wrong to me. <laughs> For starters, Santa didn't used to do anything. <laughs> He's not retired, and more importantly, he has nothing to do with Turkey. <laughs> it's too dangerous there, and the people wouldn't appreciate him. When asked how he got from Turkey to the North Pole, Oscar told me with complete conviction that St. Nicholas currently resides in Spain, which again is simply not true. <laughs> While he could probably live wherever he wanted, Santa chose the North Pole specifically because it is harsh and isolated. No one can spy on him, and he doesn't have to worry about people coming to the door. Anyone can come to the door in Spain, and in that outfit, he'd most certainly be recognized. <laughs> on top of that, aside from a few pleasantries, Santa doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Can I get you some candy? Fine, he knows enough to get by. <laughs> but he's not fluent, and he certainly doesn't eat tapap. <laughs> While our Santa flies in on a sled, the Dutch version arrives by boat and then transfers to a white horse. The event is televised, and great crowds gather at the waterfront to greet him. I'm not sure if there's a set date, but he generally docks in late November and spends a few weeks hanging out and asking people what they want. Is it just him alone, I asked, or does he come with some backup? Oscar's English was close to perfect, but he seemed thrown by a term normally reserved for police reinforcement. <laughs> Helpers, I said. Does he have any L's? Maybe I'm just overly sensitive, but I couldn't help but feel personally insulted when Oscar denounced the very idea as, quote, grotesque and <laughs> unrealistic. Elves, he said, they're just so silly. <laughs> the words silly and unrealistic were redefined when I learned that St. Nicholas travels with what was consistently described as six to eight black men. <laughs> I asked several Dutch people to narrow it down, but none of them could give me an exact number. 
It was always six to eight, which seems strange considering they've had hundreds of years to get a decent head count. <laughs> the six to eight black men were characterized as personal slaves until the mid-1950s when the political climate changed and it was decided that instead of being slaves, they were just good friends. <laughs> I think history has proven that something usually comes between slavery and friendship. <laughs> a period of time marked not by cookies and quiet hours by the fire, but by bloodshed and mutual hostility. <laughs> they have such violence in the Netherlands, but rather than duking it out amongst one another, Santa and his former slaves decided to take it out in the public. In the early years, if a child was naughty, St. Nicholas and the six to eight black men would beat him with what Oscar described as the small branch of a tree. <laughs> a switch? Yeah, he said, that's it. They'd kick him and beat him with a switch. <laughs> then if the youngster was really bad, they'd put him in a sack and take him back to Spain. <laughs> Wait a minute, St. Nicholas would kick you? Well, not anymore, Oscar said. Now he just pretends to kick you. <laughs> he considered this to be progressive, but in a way I think it's almost more perverse than the original punishment. <laughs> I'm going to hurt you, but not really. <laughs> How many times have we fallen for that line? <laughs> the fake slap invariably makes contact adding the elements of shock and betrayal to what had previously been plain old-fashioned fear. <laughs> what kind of a Santa spends his time pretending to kick people before stuffing them into a canvas sack? <laughs> then, of course, you've got the six to eight former slaves who could potentially go off at any moment. <laughs> this, I think, is the greatest difference between us and the Dutch. While a certain segment of our population might be perfectly happy with the arrangement, if you told the average white American that six to eight nameless black men would be sneaking into his house in the middle of the night, he would barricade the doors and arm himself with whatever he could get his hands on. Six to eight, did you say? In the years before central heating, Dutch children would leave their shoes by the fireplace. The promise being that unless they plan to beat you, kick you, or stuff you into a sack, St. Nicholas and the six to eight black men would fill your clogs with presents. Aside from the threats of violence and kidnapping, it's not much different than hanging your stockings from the mantle. Now that so few people actually have a working fireplace, the Dutch are instructed to leave their shoes beside the radiator furnace or space heater. St. <laughs> Nicholas and the six to eight black men arrive on horses which jump from the yard onto the roof. At this point, I guess they either jump back down and use the door <laughs> or stay put and vaporize through the pipes and electrical cords. <laughs> Oscar wasn't too clear about the particulars, but really, who can blame him? We have the same problem with our Santa. He's supposed to use a chimney, but if you don't have one, he still manages to come through. It's best not to think about it that hard. 
While eight flying reindeer are a hard pill to swallow, our Christmas story remains relatively dull. Santa lives with his wife in a remote polar village and spends one night a year traveling around the world. If you're bad, he leaves you coal. If you're good and live in America, <laughs> he'll give you just about anything you want. We tell our children to be good, and then we send them off to bed, where they lie awake, anticipating their great bounty. A Dutch parent has a decidedly hairier story to relate, <laughs> telling his children, listen, you might want to pack a few of your things together. You might want to pack a few of your things together before going to bed. <laughs> the former bishop of Turkey will be coming tonight, <laughs> along with six to eight black men. <laughs> they might put some candy in your shoes. They might stuff you into a sack and take you to Spain. Or they might just pretend to kick you. <laughs> We don't know for sure but we want you to be prepared. <laughs> This... <laughs>